Welcome to the Maverick Mindset Podcast, a podcast that will explore the stories of people who have chosen to take life into their own hands, in their own way, and define what success means for them. Be prepared to be inspired, motivated, and maybe even learn something new. My name is Romeo Santos, and I'll be your host. This is the Maverick Mindset Podcast. Let's go. What's up, Maverick Nation? Romeo Santos, your host here. Super excited about the guest that we have today, Mr. Nick Waldner. Uh, Nick Waldner is an old friend of mine uh, and colleague. He is an incredible professional real estate agent with 18 plus years experience. Uh, Everybody likes the guy because he's awesome. Uh, He's even been on TV. He was on the Waterfront House Hunting Show, uh, has a beautiful wife, a little boy, and he's even graced us with his presence today when baby boy number two is coming tomorrow. So we're really, really blessed and honored to have him. Uh, Super excited to jump into this and talk to him. Uh, He's an adventurist. He's a philanthropist. You guys are going to love this episode. So why don't we jump on in? And uh, Nick, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me. Yes, at any moment, if my wife starts yelling, I'm going to disappear but we're not due till tomorrow. And the doctor said it could be a week after that. So who knows? Who knows? Awesome. Awesome. Very good. Very good. So um, tell us a little bit about your family. You've got, uh, you have your wife and your little boy now, who's how old? Yeah. So I've got my wife and I have a two and a half year old. And then of course we have another boy coming very, very shortly. So I'll have two, uh, two under three very shortly and life's going to change. That's going to be really awesome. That's going to be really awesome. My wife and I have two now as well. And you're right. Your life is going to very much so change. Absolutely. Wrangling one is fun. Wrangling two, you go, oh my goodness, we're, we're almost outnumbered. So that's awesome. All right. So, um, you know, looking back on your bio and, and I know you through business and I know the awesome person that you are. I know that you love to give, that you like to teach. Um, you're very well liked and respected because of the person that you are and the character that you have. But talk to me a little bit about like life and who you were as a kid and how you found yourself kind of um, uh, progressing into this crazy world of real estate. Yeah, gosh. So I should have a couch and like lay down if we're going to get really deep into this and go back to my past, my childhood, but no, I'm kidding. So I, the first thing that came to my head and I'm just going to, I'm an open book. So I just share whatever comes to my mind. But the first thing that came to my mind was I can remember, I think I was in the sixth grade or something like that and I came home and I walked up to my mom and I had four hundred dollars in my hand and as a sixth grader she (laughs) she looked at me and I said I want to buy a mountain bike and she said where in the world did you get four hundred dollars because you're 10 so rewind back I don't know how I picked up this habit but I was at Costco with, uh, with one of my family members, an aunt, and they had those big bags of candy with all the little individual candies in it. And I said, wow, I would love that. It was maybe like crunch bars or something. And my aunt bought it for me. And I came home and I got the idea that what if I sold these for 25 cents a piece on the bus every day before and after school? And then all of a sudden I started kind of creating this business. And then like kids started bringing money specifically. And then I had to get new product and have different candy each time and it just kind of took off and I loved it and you know it shocked my mom but it was just something I I really enjoyed my father who loves softball more than anybody ever should love anything would take (laughs) me to all these huge tournaments so I can remember again like sixth seventh eighth grade I went and built like this snack bar thing 
that went around my neck and I would go around to the stands and say, hey, who's hungry? I'll go get your food and you just give me whatever tip you want. And of course, you know, 11, 12 years old, people are like, oh, here's an extra five bucks. Oh, yeah. And it was, again, I'm like running around doing all this stuff. And I just learned like so early on that the more energy I put into something, the more return I need to get. I am not mm. the person who can just sit and make an hourly or, or get a salary. I, I wanted to work hard and I wanted to get rewarded for that hard work. Oh, wow. That's incredible. So, so you were a preteen entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you break it down and we go way, way back, that's what it all started with. So I'll start it with, uh, with slinging candy on the bus at school. That's incredible. That's incredible. So when you were in school, besides being an entrepreneur and, and loving the ability to, to kind of create your own future and make your own money, what else did you do? Were you an athlete? Did you do anything like that? Yeah, I was, uh, I was a lacrosse player. So if you've ever grew, okay. grown up on, the, on uh, the East Coast, Maryland, New York, all you know is lacrosse. It's as big as football is in Texas. And that was it. And I can remember my, um, my freshman year, I played lacrosse and soccer growing up as a young child. And then when I got to high school, I remember going out you know, for, in the fall for the soccer team and thinking, I've been playing soccer my whole life. Of course I'm good enough. And I didn't make the team. And that was one of the first kind of like real world, you know, you're, you're not as great as you think, or you need to try harder, or you need to work harder. And I can remember I had just started lacrosse the year before. So all the kids in the area have been playing for 10 years and I'm like one or two years in. And I remember thinking, I'm not going through high school without being an athlete. So I worked my tail off. I got on the team my freshman year by like the skin of my teeth. I wasn't very good. My stick handling skills weren't great, but I was willing to work hard. And I think the coaches saw that fast forward to senior year. I was the leading scorer. I had, you know, all County. I was captain of the team, like all the, all the accolades that you want and you think are important in high school. And then I went from being this big shot, big lacrosse player in high school and I went to Salisbury, which was on the eastern shore of Maryland. It's a massive lacrosse school. Like they, they've won the national championships D3, like eight out of the last nine years or so. It's crazy, like tons of lacrosse players. And I got there thinking I was really good at what I did. <laughs> and I looked around and it was like, oh, yeah, I was leading scorer too. Oh, yeah, I was best in the state too. Oh, yeah, I was. And all of a sudden, I, again, reality slapped me in the face and, and it said, maybe athletics isn't going to be your ticket in college. And that was, that was a wake up call. So I think that having those failures in life is what creates that fire and that burn to, all right, what am I going to do? How am I going to react to this? You know, I, I love the saying we're 10% what happens to us, 90% how we react. So I look back at those stories. I could have you know, kind of curled up and given up after getting cut from the soccer team and just written off sports. But I chose the other path, the harder path. And I'm glad I did. It, it made me a more well-rounded person from it. That's awesome. It, it, it almost sounds like every time you came up against one of those challenges that you, you really, you're, you're a person that rises to the occasion. Maybe if you were going into situations where it was just always easy, you were always the best. 
maybe you wouldn't have had as much success as, as you found in your life anyways. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think, I think the challenge is finding things that push us, finding things that we're most likely not good at at first because that's what creates great after. The, the fail forward mentality, and I have a, a show, Fail Forward Friday, and every Friday, my entire team shares their fail for the week what they learn from it, and then how, what they're going to do next week in order to grow or improve from that failure. And that's a very weird topic when you bring a brand new person onto the team and you say, hey, guess what? On Friday, you're going to tell the entire team how much you failed this week. You know, they're frozen. They're like, what? And on our team, it's different. The culture is we celebrate failure because if you're not failing, then either one or two things are happening. Either one, you're lying because you are failing, you're just too, too uh, egotistical to admit it. Or number two, you're not putting yourself in any, any positions where you will fail. And if you're not, then you're not growing. So it, it's a trial by fire. The first week you are sharing failures and you're jumping right in. I love that. You know, the new year um, has had me focusing a lot on those types of messages, right? So how can we continue to get better especially with all the different changes that have happened in our industry, Zillow coming in as a broker, all these crazy things that of course we won't go down a rabbit hole on, but I've been talking to my team about that exact subject slightly different. I heard something that's been repeated a few times. That was, you know, if you're living in the, if, if you're depressed, you're living in the past. And if you're anxious, you're living in the future to be content, you need to live in the now. And so we've been having that conversation, like, listen, the past is gone. You should not forget about it, but you should see what you can learn from it. Plan for the future because the future is coming regardless. So be set up, allowing you to really live in the now. So I love that you do that with your team. I might have to steal that. That's actually very good getting people to really share because I, I always do the, and you probably have done this or been places where they just share something good with us. What happened? What was your win yesterday? Right? Right. right. Yeah. I and love that's, that. That's what most cultures, all they do is celebrate the win but if you're already winning at something, you're already good at it. You're not mm. learning anything from that. Anything you've ever done that was hard in life, if you walked in and won the first time you tried, what did you learn from that? The things right. that we fail at and have to continually improve until we start to succeed, that makes a huge difference. I can remember in college, I went again, Eastern Shore of Maryland, so I was very close to the beach. And it was my first summer after my freshman year and all my friends were like, hey, what are you going to do? Are you going to go home for the summer or are you going to go get a job at the beach? Being 18 years old, I, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. So I went down to the beach and I went and looked at two different jobs. The first job was a lifeguard. And I thought, wow, this is to be completely candid. I thought, oh, this is pretty cool. The girls will like it. I get to sit up and get a tan. Like, all right, I, I like this lifeguard thing. It's pretty easy. And then the second option was something called telescope pictures or scopes, which for those of you guys not on the Eastern shore or don't know Maryland, it's photographers that run up and down the beach all day long for eight hours, bothering or, or attempting to sell to every single person on the beach. Hey, you've got two little kids over there, Romeo. Let me get some great shots of them. You can come in tonight. It doesn't cost you a thing. You only buy what you like. You know, let me just get, and I started that and it was that sales pitch. And with that job, there was zero salary. There was zero hourly. It was 100% commission. Wow. You went out and busted your butt and either came back 
great or came back and learned something from it. So I'm pretty sure the audience can guess which direction I went when I had to choose between straight salary, $10 or whatever it was, $8 an hour, or this direction, incomes, no limit. I went this way and, and it was probably one of the best teachers in my life because I would say 22 people would say no before one person would say yes. So it was, you learned very quickly that a no was like, I got to hear a no three times from somebody before I move on. Cause my, your first response to me now, nah, no, no, no. And I'm like, Oh, Romeo, come on. I'm quick. I'm easy. You don't even have to get up off your chair. You stay right there. No, no, I'm not interested. Listen, doesn't cost you a dime. I won't take any money from you. Just come in and look at the pictures. Mom, you want these pictures, right? And she's like, well, we could have pictures of the kids. And I'm like, great. That's a yes. You guys stay right there. Don't move at all. Do all the work. Bam. I'm getting the kids. I'm taking all the pictures. And then I always look over and go, dad, mom, come down and get in one, get in one. And you go, ah, I drag you down. I get some family shots. Then I get rid of the kids. I take you and your wife kissing. I'm like, oh, it's like your honeymoon. And you laugh and I laugh. I'm in and out of your life in about three or four minutes. And then you show up that night and I've got 50 pictures of your family from singles of each of your kids, the kids together, mom and the kids, dad and the kids, mom and dad together, the whole family. And all of a sudden you're whipping out your credit card going, oh God, I know, honey, I know you love that picture. We need it. Oh, you love that picture too. Uh, and you're spending money and I'm making a commission every time you pick one. That's awesome. I, and, and I grew up in Maryland. So I, I remember Ocean City every year and the scopes and we loved the scopes, always wanted it. I did not know that it was 100% commission. That's, that's, that's pretty crazy because when you think about it and maybe it's just generational, I wonder if they're still just commission because most kids at that age are not taking a all commission job. Yeah, because most people don't realize that if you work hard, it's much better. But if you don't work hard, it's not. And that, that to me is life. Life is yeah. built where the harder you work, the more you should be getting a reward. And if you don't do anything, you really shouldn't get anything. That's kind of, you know, how, how I want to raise my kids to understand and learn. So I, I know the owners of the company now, I was there for six years. So my first summer, I was rookie of the year. I made 14,000 for my first summer. And again, 18 years old, I came home and was like, Hey mom, I'm buying a Jeep. And I always wanted a Jeep Wrangler. My mom said, no way. They'll roll over. They're like roller skates are too dangerous. And I came home threw $14,000 on the table. And I said, well, I got the cash. I'm going to buy one. I went out that weekend, found one, came home. Literally the car was like 13,800. And my mom was like, how are you going to pay the taxes on that? And I was like, what? And I had to end up borrowing $2,000 or whatever it was to cover taxes because I had no idea. And it's just like those things you learn. So all of a sudden, my, my work all summer now turned into a Jeep, which it, when you're 18 is the most important thing in the world that I had all the way through college. And I loved it. And it was like that hard work got me that, that position in life that I wanted. I wanted to have a Jeep top down, driving around campus, you know, all that stuff. So uh, my first summer, I made 14. My second summer, I made 22. My third summer, I was over 30,000. Wow. And remember, $30,000 in three months. And I was nine, 20 years old at the time, 21 at the time. Like it was a crazy amount of money. And, 
you know, keep going up in that trajectory for another three years. It was the greatest job ever uh, in terms of teaching me. And then what it also did is it gave me the ability once I was in my third year and I said, I want more. And my, you know, uh, the, the owner was like, what do you mean? Go out and sell more. And I said, nah, there's gotta be another, re- another way. Give me rookies and let me train them and give me a piece of how well they do. And he was like, we've never done anything like that. So he's like, all right, pick three. And I got three rookies and my rookies finished number one, number two, and number four out of 60 or 70 kids. And then he said, you want to run the whole studio? And I said, yes. And then I started learning the business aspect and I, the recruiting, the training, like all the stuff that, that, that moved me into where I am today, because I started realizing that leverage of having salespeople I could make a massive impact by teaching and showing people how to, how to, how to go forward or, or what that runway looks like. And I would, I would win as well. So it was, a, it was, they win, I win, everybody wins. Let's go. That's awesome. It, it actually, it reminds me of one of my favorite quotes from Zig, Zig Ziglar, right? If you do more for what you get paid to do, eventually get paid more for the things that you do. I love that. Yes. I love that. And then even there's another one of his quotes in there, right? You know, well, actually the Jim Rohn, right? You can have everything in the world you want as long as you help everybody else get what they want, which it sounds like you used both of those and you were able to get exactly what you wanted. That's amazing. All right. So I think everybody listening, it's totally clear that you're charismatic, charming, and driven like crazy. Where did these habits come from? I mean, were your parents this way? Like, you know, is it just something that you think you were born with? Yeah, so I would say one of the most impactful books in my life was Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Mm-hmm. Reading that changed my perspective on everything. So as I was growing up, I, I, you know, I, I graduated high school in 97. So right around the early 2000s was the big boom in the stock market. And it was the big bubble. Everybody was like stock, 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 stock. So what do you think I studied in college? I was a finance major because I wanted to be a stockbroker because that's where that's who's making all the money. And as I got into that deeper and deeper, and I, I did great in school, school was, was easy for me. I read that book and it was like this slap in the face. Like, why would you want to go do that? Go build your own assets, go build your own business, go stop working for the government or for a big corporation or for a, you know, minuscule, um, retirement, go build your own. And like reading that was like, it mirrored my life. When I grew up, my father was in the fire department. So he was Mm. a captain in fire department in Baltimore city. And he worked there for 39 and a half years before he retired. And he got, you know, his pension is like 89% of his salary for the rest of his life. And he's thrilled and happy with that. But to me, if I'm only making 80% of my salary, that means I'm lo- I have to scale back my life 20% just to continue living. I don't want to retire into scaling back. I want to keep growing and doing. So then on the other side, my mom, uh, when my parents got divorced, my mom never went to college, never had any kind of formal education. She had a best friend whose mom was a real estate investor and she said, you should get your real estate license and start selling real estate and buying real, buying property. So when my parents got divorced, my dad stayed in the same path he was on. And my mom, I watched her go like this. And then all of a sudden, by the time I'm in high school, my mom's, you know, much more financially set. She's doing the things she loves. She's, 
we have a, a you know beautiful house and like you know all those things that you want when you when you think about success and i'm watching my mom get all this and i'm watching my dad just always stay the same so i grew up with a rich dad poor dad but it was a rich mom poor dad mm. and that was my so that was between that book and my life and how well it mirrored i could i couldn't follow any other path my mom's path was my path Got it. Wow. So when did you get in real estate? 18 years, um, kind of doing the math. Was it maybe around like 2003 or so? Yep. 2003. Okay. So when I, when I was at the beach and I was running that uh, seasonal business, cause it's only three months, mm -hmm. I had gotten to a point where I couldn't make any more money. I was already, uh, I was already a managing partner. So I made a, per, a percentage of the profit of the business and there was just only so much pie to go around. So the, that, that person and I who owned that company, we went out and researched franchises. I was like, franchising is a great way to make money. Let's go into that. But I don't want to own a franchise. I want to own a territory. Mm. So we went down to Arizona for Cold Stone Creamery back in the day, like in the in wow. like 2001, two, three, four, five. That was like the, that was everything. That was the, mm. the Starbucks of ice cream, they called it. So we went down, we bought the territory of Maryland, Virginia, Delaware, DC, Pennsylvania, and the Southern half of New Jersey. So massive oh, wow. territory. Yeah. And then we opened, you know, everybody was five partners, four minor partners, minor, and then one main partner and everybody had a different role. And my role ended up being the commercial real estate side. Mm. So when someone said, Hey, I want to open up a cold stone, I worked with the local broker in that area to find the right location. Then another partner would step in and help them with construction. Then a third partner would step in and help them get in their store up and ramped up. And I watched this like oiled precision machine. And it was the same every time. The people who bought the franchise and followed it, followed the model to a T made money and were successful. The ones that bought the franchise paid for the model, but then thought they knew how to do it better. Always kind of like barely scraped by or didn't do well or were always upset. So you've got to see this internal working of if you follow the model and stop trying to do it yourself, you can grow really, really quickly. So, so that's kind of how I got into the real mm -hmm. estate world. And then I was doing that for a while. And then, you know, then it comes down to, you know, your, your ethics and your morals my partner who now I've been in business with for seven, eight years, he was an older brother, father figure to me. I mean, like we had been through everything. He had taught me more than any, any mentor has in my life. He's got a wife and three kids. And I find out one day he's sleeping with our secretary. Oh. And it was, yeah. I mean, that's how I felt. I was like, Oh my God, I loved his wife. I thought his kids were amazing. And I went into his office and I said, that's it. You got to, you got to end that. You got to go tell your wife, you need to figure this out. Like we got to fix this. And he looked at me and was like, this is none of your business. Get out. Mm. And I just immediately, the second he said that I was one in shock because this is like my father, older brother telling me this. And I walked out, picked up the phone, called my mom who had been in residential real estate uh, for as long as I can remember. And I said, you know what? I'm thinking about getting out of commercial and coming over there. And she was like, what, what you, you'd come into residential. I said, yeah. And she was like, great, great, great. So I, I went, got my license and all that stuff. And 
I went to my company and I said, guys, I want to, we, we had like 10 stores that we owned together and we had this, that, and the other. And I said, I want to just be bought out. I don't need anything, you know, extreme. I just want to get my fair value and I'm going to walk. I did that. Fast forward six months, the wife found out, the girl got fired. Then she sued the company because you can't fire me because you were sleeping with me. And the whole thing imploded. And we went from the number one franchise developer in all of Coldstone to completely defunct. Mm. And I'm glad that I followed my my core and I went the opposite direction because I knew that wasn't what was right. Wow. Yeah. So so I got into real estate. And when I did, my first thing my mom told me was very clear. She was like, all right, let me just explain how this business works. My business is my business. You have to develop your own business. And I thought in my head, this is my mom. She's not going to let me starve. Like she's going to take care of me. And sure enough, like every time a client came in, she was like, whoa, 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 whoa. That one's mine. You got to find your own. You can be part of the transaction. You can learn. Like I'll show you how to write contracts. I'll answer questions at 6 a.m. or 11 p.m. But you have to find your own. And I was like, what the? And again, it was one of those like (laughs) slap in the face realization that like, and, and I get jokes from my friends all the time. Like, oh, you just got your mom's business and all that. My mom didn't join my team for six years. And then when she finally agreed to join my team, she retired six months later. So either I'm a terrible boss or, you know, she was just done, but that was it. That was our entire time together was six months after I've been in the business for six or seven years. Okay. Now, um, your, your, your mom, which brokerage did she start at? Like, how did you find your way navigating through um, your real estate career into different brokerages? Yeah, she was uh, she was with Remax, and she was okay. the number one agent in Carroll County, which is a very small rural county in Maryland. Mm-hmm. You know, not anything uh, not anything amazing uh, in terms of sales volume and prices sure. and things like that. So I went there first, and without knowing anything, I started there. You know, I, I joke I was rookie of the year my first year. But I also didn't have a single person within 15 years of my age. Like everyone <laughs> was much older than I was. So right. it was kind of a joke. Uh, but but as I as I grew in that company, Remax was number one at the time. So it was actually a great company. I realized that I needed to move to a bigger location. I needed to go to a bigger pond because all of a sudden, mm-hmm. you know, I'm 26, 27, and I'm like number three in the company. That's crazy. I'm not good right. enough to be number three. So I moved to a different Remax in Columbia and mm. I instantly went from number three to number like 26 mm. out of the, out of the whole office stats. And that opened my eyes to how some of the bigger agents were doing it. And then I really started kind of getting into that. Fast forward, we got, I started doing so well that our broker came and said, Hey, great news, Nick, you're doing awesome. We're going to make you a full fledged agent now, instead of having you guys on a team. And I looked at my mom and I said, why would we want to do that? I'd have to pay double the cost. And and they were like, yeah, 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 it's fine. You can afford it and walked out. And I was like, so we set a meeting up. We went down I sat down. I explained why, no, we have no desire to do that. We'll stay as our team and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he said, Listen, sweetheart, Say, that was to my mom. Listen, sweetheart, oh. we know you're not going to go anywhere. So just agree to it and let's move forward. And I was like, wow. 
Oh my goodness. Next day we were gone and I had been training and learning from Keller Williams. And I said, let's go to Keller Williams. We moved to Keller Williams and quickly Keller Williams became the number one real estate company. So just in case anybody's doing the math, Remax was number one when I was there. I moved to Keller Williams. It became number one. I'm just saying, you can see how it happens. <laughs> well, I, I, I was waiting for that kind of linear um, connection to happen because I, I heard you speaking really in depth about the, the systems and the models with Coldstone. And, you know, I, I'm no longer with Keller Williams, but I'll tell you what, the master's degree that I got in real estate from one of the most incredible minds that I could imagine in Gary Keller. And, 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 you know, I've been lucky enough to meet Joe Williams as well. The, the systems and the models that they teach, you're absolutely right. If you can learn a system and a model and follow it and be disciplined, what it can do for your, for your business, for your world is just incredible. So, so let's talk a little bit because, you know, up until about four years ago, saying that you were doing 40 transactions a year. And when I read that, I was like, that's not, that's not accurate, is it? That can't be, right? Like, I know Nick, he's like, been like crushing it. Now you guys are doing 400. I'm sure everybody wants to hear how you go from 40 to 400. Yeah, I, you know, I think uh, 40 to 400 is a great tagline and everybody loves it and everybody jumps all over it. And it's really, if you understand to study business, it's what you should be going to and gravitating towards. Because when you say you went from 40 to 400 in only four years, everybody's like, oh, you know, well, what was the story? But then when you say, well, wait a minute, before I did that, I struggled for 12 years doing mm -hmm. the exact same business before I took off. Now the story gets real. Now it's all of a sudden like failure, 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 failure. Whoa, now I'm moving up. And it's this, it's this uh, gradually, 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 then suddenly. Yeah. And that was kind of the, the, the career path I was on and why you were like, what? That's, that hasn't been that long ago because I failed for so many years. And failing is probably a bad word, but I wasn't hitting the level that I wanted to. And yeah. I can remember very vividly, I had, I had moved into the real estate role exactly like I did the scopes role. I was running around trying to sell, 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 sell. And as many as I could sell, that's how much money I make. After a while, I'm sitting in a settlement and I'm looking down at my what my phone and I'm looking at my watch and I'm thinking like, what the hell is taking so long? This this settlement officer is so slow. I got a million things to do. I need to call that buyer back. I need still need to go to that listing appointment. God, I haven't even done the request for repairs. And I'm this is what my mind is doing. And I look up and here is my super sweet buyer holding a pair of keys looking at her husband like deep in their eyes they're they're like welling up with tears this is the greatest moment they finally became homeowners and i felt this big i felt like wow i'm so focused on myself and not my client because i've gotten so busy and i'm trying to do it all myself and i realized in that moment i needed to make a change and my change was either add leverage so i can sell more and be more present or the other thing that, that I saw it was, I love the relationship. I, you know, you're texting every day, you're talking every day, you learn everything about their family. Like you go from zero to a hundred in like 10 days. 
and then you're with them for 30, 60, maybe 90 days. And then like the well shut off. It's yeah. like, hey, we bought our house. See ya. And I remember always getting this feeling like, man, I really like them. They were really great people. Hope they call me in seven years. You know, that was pretty much it. So then I changed my perspective. Well, what if I could develop these same type of relationships with agents? And I taught them what made me successful. And I taught them, here's your career path. Don't worry about this. Ignore this. This is your path. And I ran it kind of like a, uh, like a franchise, like follow this model and you're do, you'll do well. And I got mm -hmm. really lucky that one of my first hires after admin and setting up the transactional side of it, but my first agent hire, literally he, the first day he came in, he was wearing like sweatpants. And I was like, what is going on? And we sat down and we're <laughs> in my conference room and we're talking and about five minutes into the conversation, he gets beat red and he goes, oh my God, is this an interview? I thought I was just coming in to ask you a few questions. And I started laughing. I said, well, yeah, I think it's an interview. And he's like, my God, can we do it again tomorrow? I'm going to wear a suit. I get it. And like, that was our first ever interaction. I thought it was hysterical. And then that day forward, if I said, run through that brick wall, he went, okay. And he'd run through the brick wall. And then he'd come back and say, why did I do that? And I realized that that personality allowed him to skyrocket his success because he didn't have the ego telling him, well, that's the way you do it, but I think I'm going to try this. And no, like, did that work for you? All right, then I'll run through the wall too. And like that type of growth and watching him grow. And then um, I'm there for, you know, his wedding, his first child, his you know, second child, his first investment property, like all these milestones over years, rather than that short relationship with a buyer or seller. And I was, it was like a drug. I was hooked. Like, that's what I want to do. I want to, I want to create the, the, the flight plan and, and the runway to let agents take off. I don't care that's about awesome. anything else. That's awesome. I, I love that. Well, anybody out there listening that's looking for an incredible um, mentor and team to join, I think uh, I think that was a shining endorsement of the type of environment you'd be in. That's really great, you know. And and I think I've been hearing more and more and more lately, right? And 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 I, you know, that's going to happen this way when you got two real estate guys or two real estate people on the show. There's there's something that I've been hearing a lot for the last two years that it probably took until about six months ago for me to finally go okay, I finally get it, right? And it's actually something that Adam Hergenrother says all the time, right? And he says, I'm not dragging people with me. I'm looking for people that want to stand up and run with me. And I think that in any business or in any endeavor, that's really what you're looking for, right? Like that's the quality of the person. Those are the partners that you need around you that like I can sense in your voice, I can see in your face, the energy that you get from it is having those relationships where people want to do it versus those people that have their own ego. Like you say, oh, I already know another way or why should I do it that way? Or I don't like to do that. Well, all those things don't matter. If you want to be successful, you have to just do what somebody else that's lived before you has done yep. and, and you'll find some success if you really give it your all, right? And when, when you dig down deep, that's me to a core. Everything I'm teaching, everything I'm talking about, everything I'm giving any advice on is not coming from my little pea brain. 
It's coming from someone smarter and, and more successful to me that I've stolen that idea and then presented it in a way that made sense to you. Right. So like, I, I think you need a plan to help people succeed. You also need a plan to know when they failed and get them out of your system. So yeah, sure. I, I had a, a rough conversation uh, earlier today with somebody and I said, you know, listen, to be an agent on this team doesn't cost me a thing. You could be here for another three years, doesn't cost me anything. But if you're not making money, I can't in good conscience keep you on the team and watch you continue to fail. So what we're going to do is we're going to set some ground rules and set some plan of action if you follow this plan, we're going to review it again next Wednesday. If you follow the plan, we're going to do it another week and another week and another week. But the second that you fall off this plan, I've got to be the bigger person and help you find a better opportunity that matches your talents better. Because I don't want somebody on the team that's constantly struggling, constantly in financial worries. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. It just means this might not be the best career choice. There might be sure. something else where you're going to shine and I'm going to help you find that because I don't want you, I don't want you continually beating your head against the wall if you're not growing and getting better. Yeah, for sure. So for people out there listening that are just curious, like what the heck, what makes, what, what's a characteristic of somebody that can be successful, no matter what it is, what are some of the core characteristics that you see in people that really help them that you can almost pick out now probably that like, yep, they're going to be successful or no, they're probably not going to be successful. Yeah. And, and it's weird because these are some of the things that not everybody thinks about, but like, I want someone who's genuine. I want mm. somebody who's a good person who could go to dinner with my mom and my mom would mm. go, Oh, they're a really nice person. I really like her. I really like him because if that's the case, then they're also going to be able to connect with other people, the buyers, the sellers, like being genuine makes you trustworthy. It makes you respected. It, you usually have a better sphere. I, I don't want the, you know, win at all costs, you know, cut your throat to get ahead. Like that ego is what gets in the way of success. So I want the genuine, humble, willing to learn. That's probably my biggest thing. I'm a huge learner. I love reading in seminars and I fly over the country to meet with different people. Adam and I have been friends for, for years. There's a picture up there of him and I climbing uh, the tallest mountain in Africa. Like, nice. and we have, we have a, a, a talk, uh, we have a call every single month where I'm pushing him and he's pushing me and having those peer partners like that is huge for the business. Nice. So I want somebody who has that same sense, who wants to learn, wants to grow, is humble enough to take that advice and run with it. And then I also want, want that genuine personality of, of that trustworthy, honest person. And that's really table stakes. Like people are like, well, yeah, of course, I don't want somebody who's not honest. Well, yeah, I agree. But there's a difference between someone who's truly genuine and someone who's a salesperson. Yeah, I agree. I agree for sure. You know, I was... I was in hospitality for a long time and I used to always say to the servers because they would get frustrated. They get a bad tip, right? And I said, listen, don't worry about the tip today. It's all going to come out in the wash. If you do the right thing every single time, it will all come out in the wash and you'll find that you make a lot more money than if you're just focused on what that tip is right there in front of you, right? Don't allow the tip or the result to affect who you are as a person. If you are who you are, then, then you'll get your just due, right? Yeah, there's going to be some people that stiff you. There's going to be some people that give you a ton. 
but it's yeah. the number of tables that you're able to serve over the course of the night that's going to make the difference. How well you served them and how many you served. That, that's mm -hmm. everything in, in that world. Um, yeah, so I, I, I look at it like, you know, our team, our, our, uh, our mission is we're in the business of developing people. And, th and then we measure our success on helping people achieve their personal or professional best. And personal is first, because in my eyes, if I help you become a better father, that also makes you a better realtor. If you're a better mm -hmm. husband, you're also a better realtor. If you're healthier, then you have more energy to be a better realtor. If you're like all those things that we can help, that we can help you grow personally, we're, it, the whole thing's connected in one way, shape or form. So if you improve anywhere, you improve everywhere. So we're, we're very much focused on personal and professional growth. I love that, a very holistic approach to the process. Yeah, yeah. that's great. That's, that's really awesome. Okay, so tell us a little bit about your team. What's the makeup of your team? Yeah, so we've got um, 14 or 15 agents. Wow, okay. I say 14 or 15 because I got a new one who's just about to get yeah. licensed. I got another <laughs> right. one who's coming. Like it's all, it's all and shifting. But, uh, and then we've got an entire admin staff. So we've got seven people on the admin side that they take care of everything, paperwork from soup to nuts from the second you get an appointment till the time it closes and then after. And I think that agent services portion to take all that, you know, junk off of a salesperson's desk and let them do the two things they're good at, meet new people and build relationships with them. And everything else is out of their way. They can take off a lot faster than I did when I first started. And for 12 years, I was trying to write, write this contract you know, make sure the title company was aware, call the, the uh, termite to make sure they were doing it, follow up with the chimney company and ask them what, like, oh my God, I can't imagine doing all that again. Yeah, I, I and I think the, the consumer ultimately also is rewarded by that process, right? I mean, you know, I we, we use the analogy when we're talking with new clients is like, listen, imagine if you went into the restaurant and the owner greeted you at the door and then they sat you at the table and then they brought you your bread and then they went and made your drink and then they ran in the back and they made your meal and then they came back and filled your water and then they bust your table and then they washed the dishes at the end. And they did it with 10 other tables in right, the right. How good do you think your experience would be? And when I say that to people, they go, that would be awful. And I go, exactly. Which is why we don't believe business should be built that way. Now it's the traditional way that it is, right? I mean, I think more and more agents are learning that there is a, there's a better way that you can service more, more clients in a much more productive way, have a better quality of life because you're not working till 10 o'clock at night trying to get the paperwork done that you couldn't do during the day, actually spending time with your family and the clients are happy. So I love that. I love that you have that process. That sounds like you've got a really well-oiled machine. What, what, are some of the, what are some of the challenges you had while you were kind of growing to this stage that you could share with the audience that might help them if they're experiencing some of those same things? Yeah, and I think it's important to say we're not a well-oiled machine where everything works perfect. We're a complete mess, just like anybody who's growing is. Yeah. The difference is when I say we're a complete mess, we there's things I just want to. So yeah. we have we've adopted the one percent rule. 
It's every single day, how can we get 1% better? Mm -hmm. So I go and I have meetings with my transaction uh, admin staff and we talk about how can we, what did you do to get better today? And it might be something as simple as, well, there's an email we send congratulating people when they go under contract. We've added a little bit of softer language to make it feel warmer. We've taken out a couple of lines that we thought were, were extra fluff. And we added two more points that we usually get questions on so they know it right from that email. They don't have to actually ask the question. Now, that, that little email is not going to change our entire business. But that times 365 other little tiny changes over the course of the year, then two years and three years, it, the compound effect of that is massive. So now with our team, we're constantly looking at ways to get 1% better. And when you start that policy, like I, if I hire somebody today, I sit down with them and I say, okay, listen, when you first started a new company, you don't want to, you know, make waves. You want to kind of get in line and figure out where you need to be and, and focus and all that. I'm going to tell you that in two weeks from today, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to say, what's one thing we do that is stupid or that you did a different way with another company, or you can't understand why we do it that way. You've got to find something that you disagree with the way we do it within two weeks. And you're going to bring it to me, the owner of the company and tell me why it's awful. And people mm -hmm. are like, what? Because I know that the culmination of their past experiences of all the different jobs they've had or careers they've had, they're going to be able to come in and better our organization in some way, shape, or form. And if I can start developing the mindset of we're never truly there, we're always having to grow and get better, then I can foster that open communication where somebody says, well, I don't know how to tell you this, but you guys do blah, blah, blah. And we didn't do it that way. We just did this way because it cut off like four steps. And most of the time I'm like, genius. All right, deal. We're going to start that tomorrow. And they're like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, well, I'll, I'll have a conversation with all, all the admin. I'll let them know that we're changing our process. And they're like, what the? <laughs> but that's, that's what you do to get better, that 1% better every single day. Find something that you can do and improve on it. And over time, the compounding effect is incredible. I love that. And, and, and I noticed that one of the books, one of your most influential books or impactful books you have is The Compound Effect. I too absolutely love that book. I mean, the simplicity of just doing consistent activities and trying to get better each time and then the compounding impact. It sounds like, which is what happened to your business, right? I mean, 12, 12 yes. years stuck at 40 and fast forward four years after and you've 10X'd it, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm the Grant Cardone, but I didn't do it in a year. I did it for 18 years. Right, right. Absolutely. And then, and then I also see you're listening to um, Green Lights right now. Yeah, yeah. So, so the cool We're thing about like, are you reading or listening? Well, it's Matthew McConaughey. And if you don't yeah. know the soulful, like sexiness of his voice, get audible and listen to him. And it'll just lull you into a sense of, no, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm way off base. <laughs> so on our team, because we're all learning based, because we're all improving personal and professionally, we have different groups that, that we do. Like we have a, a workout challenge and everybody who wants to be part of it joins it. Anybody who doesn't, doesn't have to. And you set a goal for the week. I want to work out five times. I want to work out, I want to do three 
yoga sessions. I want to get on the Peloton five times, whatever it is for you. And then you report back to the group all week, your progress. And at the end of the week, we look and see who hit their goal and who didn't. And it's just self-accountability. It helps everybody stay on track because like at five in the morning, when my alarm goes off, there's many mornings where I'm like, oh, an extra hour sleep would be great. But I'm like, nope, I have to report this to the rest of the team if I don't work out. All right, I'm getting up and I get up and I go. And it's just that little bit of motivation that pushes you. We also have a book club, same thing. If you wanna be part of it, great. If you don't, that's okay too. And with that, we read the compound effect. Um, we did a couple other books and then somebody brought it to the group and said, hey, what about this, this green lights book with Matthew McConaughey? I've heard good things. They've, we all voted and I said, you know, they voted and I said, okay, great, let's do it. And then we listened to it or read it either or. Yeah. And sure enough, I think half of us in the group finish the book before like the third meeting. What we do is we break the book into sections and then we mm -hmm. come back and we sit down and talk about that section once a week for 30 minutes. That's it. That's the whole process. 30 minutes to talk about that section. And we're all finishing the book in record time because it was just a really enjoyable book to read. But when you listen or, or read a book and you're done it, all that kind of just floats away. Yeah. And then when you come back and you have a set time to discuss it for a half hour, everything comes back like riding a bicycle and then you start to really comprehend it and really internalize it because not only have you read it but now you have to talk about it or teach it to somebody else or give your perspective mm -hmm. hear other people and it just makes every book that much more powerful yeah i love that i i just finished that as well and and i certainly had the option i said well i could buy it or i can listen to it and i agree it's matthew mcconaughey so i was like i got i have to listen to it i absolutely loved his his special way that he delivered information that I think we've probably heard, especially in our world, pretty frequently, but just the way that he is able to deliver it in his own special way was very, very impactful for me. I mean, there were a lot of pieces in there that I found very profound um, that I've taken back and shared with my team. And part of my team has started to listen to it as well. So I agree. I think that's really an awesome one. That's why I had to bring that one up, but I uh, love that. Well, listen, um, I know that there's also some really great things that you do outside of all of this, right? You're, you, you've got um, a couple things that you like to support and donate that have to do with children. Uh, tell us about those and how people can support you on those. Yeah. Um, Every once in a while, I get very emotional talking about those things. And I don't know why, like it just, I guess that's the core. A few years ago, uh, I brought it to the attention of, the, of, the, of all the team members. And I said, what is one thing that we're kind of missing in our lives? One thing that we're not really doing. And it came up again and again and again about being charitable and giving back. And everybody on the team said they wanted to, yet we were all so busy with our work and with our lives that we weren't giving that time back and that, that effort back that we all truly wanted to. So it's almost like we all had a little hole that was missing. So we started talking about, well, what kind of charities would we want to give back to? What, what kind of difference would we want to make? And we, we settled on children. So... Ronald McDonald House and Johns Hopkins Cancer uh, Institute right here in, in Baltimore are both phenomenal organizations that help 
children. So at Ronald McDonald House, if you have a child who's in for cancer treatments and they're coming from all over in the world and they might have to stay for two or three or four months, that's very tough for a parent to afford not only the treatment, but also a place to stay for three or four months. So they go to the Ronald McDonald House, they can stay there for free. They still are close with their, with their child. They're, you know, they're there to support them the entire time they're going through the process. So we felt like that was something we really, really passionately felt we wanted to get behind. So we did. Mm-hmm. And our first year, we, we donated, I don't know, maybe $500, something like that. It was very minor, but it was very just getting our foot in the door and kind of getting an understanding of it. Fast forward over the last few years and every single uh, Christmas, we I'm not a person who just wants to hand a check over. I don't feel anything from handing a check over. So what we do with Ronald McDonald House and uh, and now Johns Hopkins as well is we get a list of all the kids that are in their unit and it's ages, what they're into, what they want for Christmas. It's like a wish list, like you'd write to Santa and we go and buy everything we can out of the list. I haven't told this to many people. Last year, my wife was pregnant and we lost the baby. And we lost it. Found out the day that we were shopping for the kids of Ronald McDonald and Johns Hopkins. And I remember thinking, this is one of the worst days of my life, but I'm going to this. I'm going to do the shopping. I'm going to deliver those presents. I'm going to make sure those kids have a good Christmas. And I, I, t- I really feel for the parents that have children going through that. And what that must feel like when you have no control and you have nothing you can do to help that perfectly innocent child. So for us, like any impact we can have as minor as it might be makes a difference. So we were able to, we were able to adopt, I guess, 280 kids this year for Christmas and make sure that every one of them had a gift on Christmas day, regardless of whether they're home or stuck in a hospital bed. So that, that's been a powerful influence in my world. That's amazing, 280. I, I think I saw your postings, you guys, the whole team, right? You, you guys had carts and carts full. And I remember thinking yeah. to myself, that is a really incredible thing to be doing. Yeah, and, and to be honest, it, it feels better to me than to, to, I don't know, anybody. Like the, the idea that we work so hard and with our success, what are we doing to give back and to make an impact? And there, there are people that are 100 times more charitable than me that, that make a much bigger impact. But I think if every single person picked that one small thing and they did it and they put that behind it, what a difference our world would make if everybody just had that one thing that they, they put that time and effort into. Yeah, that's amazing. And thank you for sharing that very personal detail with us. Sorry to hear that. Yeah, that was a lot. I wasn't expected to do that. Yeah. Yeah, 
Oh man. Well, um, there's also, um, I know that you have something really cool that you're doing that, that you wanted to talk about a little bit, right? The mailbox power. You want to share something about that? Yeah, I, I think with that, um, that's more of what are you doing for your clients? How are you adding value to them? Um, I think the biggest mistake that people make in any sales industry is once the sales completed, we move on to the next one. Mm. And we know every study will tell you that the value is in the lifetime of that client, not just the one purchase. So uh, we, we found a system that allows us to send brownies and um, popcorn and small gifts. And, you know, I've got one of my guy, one of my clients is a big, big golfer. So I sent him some pro V ones that say, nice. uh, I'm not, I'm not lost. I'm hiding from Ryan. Like just like, there's so many little <laughs> things you can get a Christmas ornament that has like, if, if Romeo, you have a, a, another child and you post a picture on Facebook, I can grab that picture, put it on an ornament, put the name and weight and mail it to you for very cheap. That's awesome. You, it makes it, 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 that's the kind of relationship that you can keep when yeah. you're in the know and you're constantly, uh, you know, having conversations about it. So I think that's something that was very cool that we just developed in the last maybe six months. And, yeah. you know, I think anybody who is working with their past clients and really looking for ways to connect it's just finding those different ways, finding those different things that you can do. Yeah, that sounds really awesome. Um, we'll make sure we put a link in the show notes for that because I think a lot of people could take advantage of that. And, you know, I'm actually listening right now to um, never lose a customer again. Mm -hmm. And it talks about that, you know, builds on previous books that kind of talked about creating a customer experience. And that's been another big thing that we've been talking about, especially again, with the changes that are happening in our industry, especially with with where they own pretty much the so much of the top part of the funnel is like we can effectively make sure that people are still taken care of because at the end of the day these other tech companies that are coming in it's impossible for a tech company to genuinely have the fiduciary interest of a consumer right. in in hand right you need to have that human that genuinely is working for you and and i think that that's where it's at i think i for the last three years now that's been our focus is we just need to make sure that we're being genuine. You mentioned that, right? Hopefully you really like the people that you're working with and you've developed a relationship with them. And so don't be a stranger, right? Yeah. Like just stay in touch with them and be hopefully be ingrained as a part of their world. And, and you'll, you'll find a lot of success in that as well. And, and I think that that's a big part of the reward for me in this business is same like you, being able to work with the people that are on the team and helping to grow and mentor them. I've always loved that. It was a favorite thing that I did when I was in hospitality, but the relationships with the clients, right? And, you know, seeing their families grow and then when it's time for them, because they're bursting out of the seams to go into another place. Those are really, really awesome times when, when you can be relied upon to be their, their person and they reach out to you and they're like, oh no, no, I knew I had to talk to you because you're like, okay, I, I did something right. I, right. I showed yes. them a value and, and they and they really entrust me. That's an incredible feeling. I really love that quite so much. Agree, agree. And that's real. That's that genuine feeling. Right, absolutely. Very cool. Well, listen, I know that you don't have a whole lot of time and I don't want to continue to take your time. And we're so appreciative and I'm so grateful to have you on. I'm sure that people are going to love being able to hear more about your story. Uh, thank you so much for sharing everything. We yeah. love you. 
and uh, best of luck. Please send our love to Emily. And uh, we're really excited for uh, the new little brother for your for your big boy. Yeah, yeah, my little my second little nugget coming along. Uh, awesome. I definitely appreciate you having me. I, I, I think when we're able to stop and look back at our past and start thinking through some of the things that truly made a difference in our world, it starts to help us remind us of our values and remind us of what are those North stars that we've always been following that has helped us through some really good times and really bad times. So like this to me was very therapeutic. I appreciate you, you know, having a show like this where, where we can kind of open up and talk. I love it. And, you know, you just made me think of one last thing that I'll share. They always talk about follow your passion. And then we're all like, well, what the heck is my passion? And the best quote I think I ever heard about your passion is the thing that makes you cry. That's probably your passion. Yeah. I, that thing that in, can evoke the emotion out of you. That's probably genuinely at the core of what your passion is. Yeah. And, and I, I could definitely agree with that because I think my core is impacting others. Yeah. So whether that's through the charity or through, uh, you know, a new agent or an admin that joins the team, like impacting others, a buyer or seller, it doesn't matter. Like that's probably the deepest core of, of what I want to give back to the world. So yeah, I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree awesome. more. Awesome. Well, we appreciate everything you share. I mean, ever since I've known you, you've always been open, generous, and very sharing. I think your family, your team, and your clients are all very, very lucky to have you in their lives. And uh, Nick, thanks again so much for coming on. Tell everybody how they can find you. Yeah, absolutely. So very easy. You Google Nick Waldner Realtor, all that stuff comes up from my Google page to Zillow to my Facebook is Nick Waldner. My Instagram is Nick Waldner. I'm pretty basic when it comes to all that stuff. So anybody that wants to reach out, you've got all my contact information easily available. Anybody looking to buy or sell property in Maryland, pretty much we cover the whole state except for two small, very small portions. But even those areas, you call and I'll connect you with somebody who's great in those areas. So awesome. hopefully, hopefully anybody who's not in real estate and needs help, I'm here for you. Awesome. Nick, again, thank you so very much. Uh, everybody, Maverick Nation, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, this has been the Maverick Mindset Podcast, and we're out. See ya. <laughs>